Hi and welcome. We're so excited that you chose to join us today. And we hope that this message will inspire you to live the life that God designed you to live. For this message or others like it, you can go to our website or you can find us on our YouTube channel. Now sit back, relax, enjoy this message. Come on, will you give Jesus a shout of praise tonight? Jesus, we love you. We declare there's no one like you. There's no one but you. That, Lord, tonight you are high and lifted up. And, Lord, we know that if you would be high and lifted up, you would draw all men unto yourself. And so, Lord, I thank you for the season of the great drawing. Lord, where you're drawing people into your heart, where you're drawing people into your love, where you're drawing people into your truth and your life. And, Lord, I thank you that we have an assignment as this church, as Destiny Church, Lord, there's an assignment to prepare the way of the Lord. And Lord, I thank you that you've called this place to be a city set on a hill whose light cannot be hidden. Lord, that you caused this place to shine brightly. Lord, I thank you for the 39 years of history. Lord, all the great things, all the miracles, all the victories through every war that you brought them through. But Lord, I thank you that the greatest moments and the greatest time of the destiny of this church, uh, Lord, isn't behind but is ahead. And Lord, I feel like you're telling them to charge into the future, to begin to move full steam ahead. Lord, there is an expected end to this meeting tonight. There's an expected end to this church, and it's you. It's your presence. It's your glory. And uh, Lord, I thank you right now that, Lord, the glory of Jesus, the glory of God, Lord, would rest upon these leaders, these workers tonight. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. You would refresh us. Lord, you said that you refresh those who refresh others. And Lord, everyone in this room tonight is a refresher. Lord, they're carrying a load. They're carrying a weight of ministry in some capacity. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, as they give uh, you, Jesus, as they give to you the reward of your suffering, Lord, that you would give to them the reward of the righteous. Lord, I thank you for what you're stirring up in our hearts, for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for the tangible expectation and heavenly excitement in the room. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives, Lord, of these precious people and the people they lead. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would fill this place, that you would make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, ready to record history in advance for the next few moments. That, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be seen, that you would be heard. Lord, I pray that you would take control. Holy Spirit, I yield to you tonight. Lord, I move myself out of the way. And Lord, we say, breath of God, come. Word of God, come and speak to us. Lord, if they hear the words of a man, they, they might be happy, but... Lord, they won't be changed, but if they hear the word of God, every one of us will be transformed. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated if you can, if you want to. You can stay standing up all night, but if you stay standing, you got to stay until I'm done. Uh, I won't let you sit down. But, hey, thanks for coming out on a Saturday night. Moments like this uh, are really special. Thanks, worship team. And uh, I saw some of them this morning, bright and early, and then some uh, are new reinforcements came tonight, but an amazing presence of God in the house. I don't know about you. I don't want to come to a church that Jesus don't come to, Amen. right? Aren't you glad that Jesus shows up when we show up? And, uh, and man, an amazing, tangible presence tonight. Uh, I want to start out just by, by thanking you for, for being here, thanking uh, Pastor Steve and Pastor Trish for having me in. And uh, I've heard about this amazing place out in the middle of somewhere uh, for... 
uh, many years from, from Kevin Leal. Uh, Kevin and I have been a part of the, the same ministry in Pensacola for many years until I moved to, uh, to Tennessee. I'm still a part. I'm just not there so often, and, uh, which means that me and Kevin are there about the same amount of time. Uh, but somehow we managed to show up at the same time. And uh, he's the senior prophet. I'm the junior prophet when he's in town. And because um, and he's louder than me. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, I always tell, tell people that the Kevin is murder on mercy. And uh, he brings the hurt. I bring the healing. And, uh, and you really need both to appreciate those things, right? And uh, now Kevin has been a, a great a voice in our house that really created the prophetic culture of Jubilee, which I got to step into. Uh, and because of him and uh, my pastor, they knew what to do with a young prophet who didn't know that he was a prophet. Uh, and and uh, God raised me up there. And so I know he's sown in this house a lot, uh, but heard about this church for, for many years. And, uh, and now I see why it's so wonderful. Uh, I was sharing with the ladies this morning. I, I woke up on the couch. I was tired when I got in last night. I, I was watching the news, and there was nothing new on the news. Um, and so uh, I dozed off. I woke up at somewhere around 2.30 in the morning out of one of those deep sleeps where you have no idea where you are when you wake up. Uh, and, and the true story, I said, Lord, where am I? And he said, you are where I am. And uh, it told me that I was in the right place. He, I really felt like this is a place of I am. And I feel like that, that, that is a prophetic word for this weekend. I believe it's a prophetic word for this new chapter of this church. It is the, it is the church of I am. When Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them that I am that I am. What I love about that is when you know I am, you never have to ask what if. When you know I am, you don't really have to, to wonder about if only, right? Because you, you know the one who is and was and is to come. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. And uh, I really believe uh, the Lord is asking us a question tonight. Uh, I would like you to consider it, to, to chew on it uh, for a while. But what does Destiny Church look like 40 years from now? What is this church that has had 39 great years of history behind it, in it, that has laid the foundation for an amazing move of God outpouring for multiple generations now. What does the church look like 40 years from now? Some of us may still be here. I'll be 88, still handsome, humble, probably some more gray in the beard. But, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a, how many know a different world should Jesus tarry? But I believe you have to actually begin to ask those questions because what we do now matters for future generations. I believe we're not just building something for today. We're not even just building something for this generation or those that are alive or for our children, our children's children. I believe we should be building for a generation that doesn't exist yet. I will tell you that you are growing church the old-fashioned way. I see all the kids running around. Uh, it seems like every time I come to Minnesota, uh, and there's always a new crop of kids, right? And I don't know if that's because of the cold winters or, or what, but there, there's always like, you know, tons of babies. Whenever I go up the Thief River, the church doubles in size every year. Uh, and it has nothing to do with the preaching. It has everything to do with that be fruitful and multiply word that uh, Minnesotans, you know, you, 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 you take that to heart as your own personal prophecy. Uh, and that's an amazing thing. But, but I really believe this, that there is, there is a, God wants us to build for a generation that we won't see yet. And those are important things to begin to think about and not just think about, but dream about. 
I always like to start leaders' meetings by asking this question, not asking you to respond openly, but I want you to ponder it for a moment. How many of you can tell me what God has done in the last seven days? I believe it's important for movements like this, ministries like this, for leaders like us in this room to have an up-to-date testimony. In other words, God should be speaking something to each one of us on a daily basis, certainly on a weekly basis, fresh revelation, something new that he's doing. I believe all of us should have some testimony of how God brought healing, he brought deliverance, he brought freedom, he, he did something in us, he showed up, he turned up in our everyday life. Because I believe what happens a lot of times in churches is that people begin to live off of yesterday's bread. There was a reason why they couldn't keep manna for the next day. There was a reason why it would grow moldy and it became inedible. Because what God gives us to sustain us in this season is not necessarily to bring us into the next season. What sustains me today will probably not be the thing that sustains me tomorrow. Meaning that there's always a progression in the spirit. Come on, I, I like meetings like this. I think church staff meetings should start like this. So what's God doing? And, and I believe that you, you should be able to go around the room for a couple of hours sharing. This is what God did, not just in service, but this is what he's doing in my family. This is what he's doing in, in my component of ministry. Uh, I'm just challenging you a little bit tonight because I find myself, I've been a part of, of great moves of God. And, and I love where I've come from. Uh, but it's amazing. What I thought was cutting edge many years ago, I found myself asking my kids a question uh, a few years back. And I said, what does the church feel like to you? And they said, old. And I couldn't believe what they were saying to me because the very thing that I, I gave my life for, the very thing that I've sewed into and believed for and, and thought was cutting edge, and it was compared to where I'd been and what I've seen before, but it was like, what was cutting edge today, if it doesn't continue to move forward, if the move of God doesn't continue to grow and move forward, you'll actually find yourself settling for an old move of God. It's why in the earth today, there's people stuck in a 2,000-year-old move of God, praying the same prayers, reading the same liturgy, singing the same songs. It's why many people are stuck in a 500-year-old move of God. Same liturgy, same song, same messages, going through the same motions. And God, out of his amazing mercy and love for us, shows up in the midst of it. But how many know that there is an up-to-date, now move of God in the earth? He, he doesn't pull back. He doesn't, he doesn't decrease. He always increases. So whenever I feel something decreasing, I have to say, Lord, okay, where are you increasing? What's the next thing that you're doing in the earth? What's the next thing that you want us to step into? I believe those are very relevant, amazing questions for us to begin, begin to ponder. Um, I, I, a couple of years ago, I got invited into this uh, Episcopal seminary to teach for a week. It was Holy Spirit Emphasis Week in the seminary, which kind of blows my mind. Like not every week is Holy Spirit Emphasis Week for some reason in a seminary. And, and so I'm, I'm invited into this thing, and I'm, there's all kind of like smaller prophetic meetings. And then I think it was a Tuesday or a Wednesday, uh, it was healing day. And um, they said, you know, tomorrow we're doing a high church thing in chapel, and so uh, you'll need to wear a suit and tie. And I had given all my ties and offerings. Um, 
first bad dad joke of the night. There's, I got a million of them, I promise. Um, and so I, I give, you know, uh, and so I have to go get a new tie to go with a, a, a suit. And, and I show up and it's pomp and circumstance. And I walk in, everybody's got their robes and crosses on and, and you know, going in and they file in. And I'm kind of, uh, I'm low on the totem pole. So I'm like in the third row. And the head of the whole place, he's in all of his, his garb, all of his vestments. And um, he's, he's, he's reading this liturgy on healing. And I'm sitting there in the church, and I ask the Lord a question, Lord, how are you going to move in this? Like, how are you going to move in this thing right now? And he said, don't underestimate me. I go where I'm wanted, and I use what I have. And all of a sudden, this guy moves from this liturgy and goes, I, I believe there's a prophet here named David Wagner. He spoke in this British accent. Uh, and, and he said, uh, he's going to come and give words of knowledge and people are going to begin to be healed. No pressure. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, I started getting words of knowledge about blind eyes or eyes being healed and open. And, and that day, 12 people in the room got healed with their eyes. A bunch of other miracles, healings took place. And that night, we went into... Uh, it was a healing service. And again, I, I walked in. It was less pomp and circumstance, but still uh, the head of the, 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 the department, of the, 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 head, the guy leading the meeting had his vestments on. And he's like, we're going to walk in together. We come up to the, to the altar. I'll do the sign of the cross. I go right, you go left. And I messed it all up. And I just followed him and went to the right with him. And, and uh, he was the right reverend. I wanted to be the right reverend. Nobody wants to be the left reverend. So, I, I, you know, I went. And I, I got to where he was, and he goes, you're on the wrong side. I said, too late now. Uh, and, and, and he did a couple of liturgical things and introduces me. And, and, and so I minister for a bit, and I go to start praying for the sick. And the first lady that comes up is this 84-year-old lady with Alzheimer's. And, um, and so I get ready to pray, and the daughter says, no, you don't understand. A miracle has already taken place. My mom, because of dementia and Alzheimer's, keeps getting up and, and, and walking away. But tonight she's sat, and she's actually listened to you for, for the last hour, hour and 15 minutes, and she hasn't moved, and she's been engaged. And I keep asking her questions, and I've never seen her so clear. And, and so I, I pray for her, and she falls out under the power of God. And when she starts going back, I hear Father John going, and he's as shocked as I am. I look at him, and he's, and he's praying in tongues, and he can't stop. Uh, and it was really fun. And so two hours later, I finish praying for people, and I say, hey, Father John, everything all right with you? Uh, and he said, he said, I think so. Uh, he said, let me tell you a story. He said, 26 years ago, uh, tomorrow, I was in the foyer of the church right here. It's where the seminary began, and there was a partition here. And uh, I was eating, uh, I was having uh, my dinner in between classes. And he said, I, I started eating my beefaroni, and I forgot to say grace. And when I started to say grace, I started speaking in tongues, and it freaked me out because there was a big division in the church, whether that was not for today. And he said, so I stopped it, and I hadn't spoken in tongues, and that was 26 years ago tomorrow. And God, in a moment, came back and redeemed, redeemed the time. Uh, the reason I'm sharing this with you is God will use what he has. He will breathe on the old, but not to keep it where it is. It's to bring it into where he's taking us. I'm just sharing this with you because I believe that God is going to begin to break through in this region. He's about to break through tradition. He's about to break through strongholds that, 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 that haven't brought life to the community. 
I believe that there is breakthrough coming, and many of you are going to be a part of that. How does, how does that happen? It begins to happen just like how I'm talking to you today. Don't underestimate the power of testimony. I believe you're in a real great season as a church, as you celebrated 39 years. There's 39 years of miracles. There's 39 years of prophetic words. There's 39 years of special moments where God showed up and did something in this room, in this building, on this property, in, in this community. And he used, causes those to be memorial stones, Ebenezer's, if you will, to go, uh, I remember the goodness of God here. And every time you pass by one of those things, it begins to build your faith every time you face another level of warfare, every time you step into another question where you say, is it worth it? Should we keep going? You go, oh, yeah, I remember that miracle. I remember when that person got set free, when they were so full of demons, and all of a sudden God came and showed up. I remember the nights where we stayed till 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning as, as, as people got prophetic words. I, I remember those nights, and God will cause us to, he will bring us back to the place of remembrance so that we remember his goodness, his faithfulness of the past, not to keep us there, but to point us to the future. And many of you right now are stepping into that. I want to say this to you, that God moves upon a place and upon a people, right? I believe that this is not just a church called destiny, but I believe that this is a church filled with destiny-defining moments. I believe what a destiny-defining moment is, is when you're in the right place at the right time with the right people. He always moves upon a place. It's why that, that there are, are, are places in the world where people flock to and they feel the tangi tangible presence of God. It's because God has moved there. He's, he's breathed upon there. He, he, can I tell you what you need to look for? A geographical place where the anointing is received. And you've had to contend to be in this community. You've had to contend over the years to be here. And then you found this place out in the country, and the geography received you, right? It's a destiny-defining moment. You're in the right place. And for 39 years, you've been at the right time, not just a, a, a moment of, of, of Kronos time, but a, a moment of Kairos time, a now moment in God has taken place in your life that has marked people for eternity. A Kairos moment, a moment in time where your destiny manifests. And then you found the right people. Right? I think it's so important to find the people you connect to and relate to. And I believe that this is a season where you're about to see cultural shifts. I, I believe that we're about to see a generation w with a strong moral and, and spiritual compass not moved by every wind of doctrine, not moved by, by, by status quo and social media and all of those things, but I say, this is the way and walk into it. I believe that the Lord is doing something amazing in the earth. Back in March, I was flying to Australia, and uh, somewhere over the Pacific at about 35,000 feet, I asked the Lord a question, and I like to ask him questions that high in the air because you're closer to heaven, and so he responds faster. And, um, and so I just said, Lord, what are you doing in the earth right now? And this is what he said to me. I'm restoring innocence to a generation that had it stolen from them. I thought that was pretty amazing. I go to the, the meeting, and, um, and sure enough, the first meeting is, is a leader's advance, a leader's meeting, and, um, and they're doing like TED Talks. So everybody gets 15 minutes except for me. I get 20 minutes because I'm at the end. And so, you know, I get to say my deal and then tie the whole thing together. 
And every speaker, without talking to each other, had a word about innocence or purity, innocence or purity, and it just began to tie in together. And uh, so I began to kind of connect the dots in the meeting. And I I talked about how the Lord said he's going to restore innocence to a generation that had it stolen from them. Really exciting. And, And then the Lord spoke these words to me as I'm sharing that. He said, you know, when I saved you, I didn't find you not guilty. I found you innocent. To find you not guilty would have, would have been, there's not enough evidence to convict you, although you might have committed the crime. But to find you innocent means you weren't even in the county, you weren't even in the vicinity when the offense took place. That's how God found us. He found us innocent. I believe that innocence and purity of heart, that childlike faith is coming back to us. If we would actually operate being fully mature and at the same time fully childlike. How many know there's a huge difference between being childlike and childish, right? Jesus said, unless you become like one of these, you can't even see the kingdom. You won't be able to comprehend it. You have to become childlike. And I believe what the Lord is doing is bringing that childlike purity of heart back to us for this purpose. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Here's why it's so important. I will never... I will never rightfully see the future unless I see the Lord. A lot of times we, we, we've kind of restricted prophecy to being seeing the future. But prophecy is not about seeing the future. It's really about seeing the Lord. He is the beginning and the end of your prophecy. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Before the foundation of the earth, He knew you, called you according to His purposes. Are you hearing me tonight? And there's something that I have to, I have to see the Lord, especially in this day, in this hour in the earth. I have to see the Lord. If I don't see the Lord, I will actually get caught up in all in the, in the spirit of the age and in everything that's swirling around out there. And it's why it's so important. That if, if, I were to, if you were to say, David, what is the greatest key to leadership in this moment? It would be FaceTime. And I'm not talking about from your iPhone. I'm talking about face-to-face with the Father. Face-to-face encounters with God. I believe the Lord has, is specifically calling us to, to, to move in deeper still, closer still, face-to-face, heart-to-heart communication with God. I believe there is something that's about to be so tangible and so amazing within this house, and it's called intimacy. I believe that there is a place of intimacy that the Lord is bringing you into. I believe nights like this were designed for intimate encounters with the Lord, face-to-face encounters with the Lord. We, we were on the cusp of something during worship tonight. We were on the cusp of, of just actually crossing over. I believe there's a sound that's getting ready to come out of this house because there's a sound before there's a move. Every move of God is marked with a sound. And I, I believe there's actually something original I'm thankful for all the songs that are out there, all of the the different, you know, I, I love the Bethels and I love the IHOPs and I love the, uh, the you know, the vertical music. I, I love the, the stuff that's coming out of North Carolina. I love, you know, all of that. But there is there is a sound from the heart of Minnesota. There, there is a, a sound that, that's being carried in this house that, that is going to reach this region like never before. And when you begin to tune your ear in for that sound, I believe that you're going to begin to hear something uh, that's going to actually begin to launch one of the greatest moves of God in history. You're on the cusp of it. I believe that small is the new big. Look, 
I love the things I get to do. I love the places I get to go, the platforms I get to be on, and all of that. But there is this draw to small town, small towns in Minnesota, small towns in the Midwest, smaller towns in America, because I believe in those smaller places, God is lighting a fire here and a fire there and a fire there. And I believe from the, the fires of these, of these smaller communities, he's going to begin to reach into the cities. Could it be that the, the, the prayers that are prayed here can affect Minneapolis and St. Paul? Could it be that the culture of the kingdom here could actually begin to have great effect on, on a place that, that could be completely different and more highly populated? Absolutely. There is an anointing to turn hearts. There's an anointing upon this house to turn hearts. I believe we're on the cusp of what I would call a Malachi miracle, right? What's the last verse of the last chapter of the Old Testament, last in, in, in Malachi? It says, And afterwards I'll send one of the spirit of Elijah, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children back to the fathers, unless I strike the earth with a curse. He's saying, look, if this doesn't happen, you're going to live under a curse. But once this happens, the blessing of God comes. Where's the focus? If you're a pessimist, the focus is on the curse, right? If you're an optimist, the focus is on the blessing. I believe God's an optimist. I believe if you ask me what's stronger, blessing or curse, it's, ob it's absolutely the blessing. Because curses are to three and four generations, but the blessings of God to a thousand. So, so could it be that we're actually the people, the generation that actually invoke and release thousand generations of blessing? I'm just asking you to consider it. I'm asking you to actually think and dream big. I believe the Lord is inviting this church, especially this group of people, to dream with God. If you're in children's ministry, I'd begin to dream. What does it look like as I'm entrusted to minister to this generation of world changers? I think the worst thing we could do in church is babysit because there's no junior Holy Spirit. I actually, the desire, the longing of my heart is that I'm in a church some Sunday and the church gets interrupted because children are coming in from children's church with words of knowledge, prophetic words, and they interrupt a service so miracles can take place. I'm actually looking forward to that. A couple of years ago in, at Jubilee in Pensacola, it was a, a Saturday night of our, of our normal October conference, and uh, I remember I got this, probably one of the craziest words of knowledge I ever got. Uh, and the word of knowledge is there was somebody in the room that had a fascination with blood. And if they didn't deal with it, it was going to turn into like a, a, into a spirit of murder. And I said, you, you order steak rare, not because you like the flavor of it, but because there's something about the blood. And it was one of the most awkward words to give, especially in your home church. Like, you know, I was scaring myself. You ever scare yourself? <laughs> but yet, you know, it's God. And, and I had a friend, Will Hart, there. And uh, Will's a, a great friend of mine. And he's sitting on the, the front row saying, David, don't, don't leave that. You know you're right. Stay with it. And so if you can imagine for 15 minutes, there's nobody's responding. I'm watching my own pastor kind of squirm in his seat. And I'm watching other people like, this is the most awkward thing. But I was convinced that God was speaking, that there was freedom connected to that word. And sometimes you've got to contend for it. I think what happens is we're, we, we get so freaked out when nothing's happening that we move on to the next thing before God actually does what he said he's going to do. And all of a sudden, we just, we just hung out there, and all of a sudden, this kid in this hoodie kind of comes from the back kind of side of the church and comes forward just weeping and says, that's me. So on, deliverance is taking place, and 
Well, it's happening. My, my son, Josh, who's now 13, but at the time he was almost 11. Uh, he was 10 at the time. He, he comes running from the kids' church through the, through the door, and, and people are going to grab him, right, because deliverance is going on. You don't want the kids to be around it. And so, they, you know, he, he, they try to block him, but he's like, no, 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 Dad, I have a word, I have a word. I said, what's the word? He said, I was over there in kids' church, and the Lord spoke to me that there was going to be somebody that had scars on his back, and if I would lay my hands on him, the scars would completely disappear. And I said to this kid, I said, do you have scars on your back? He said, every night I'm assaulted. Demons come and they actually, they, they actually scratch me. They actually scrape me. My back is filled with, with scars. And, and my son lays his hand on him and completely the scars disappear and the kid gets set free. Now listen, the amazing thing is, is my son knows who he is. You want to know why my son knows who he is? He's had an encounter with God. I've, I've raised him. To, to know that the supernatural is natural. But I've also, I've also caused him to be, to be raised up in a church because I realize without the church, none of it can exist in the first place. And he saw one of the greatest miracles of his life because he knew that he could hear from God and that God would use him. I have a son now, 17. His name's Caleb. And we were ministering in a place in Alabama one Sunday, and the pastor introduced me to his head deacon. And as he introduced me to the head deacon, I shake the guy's hand, and, and, and all of a sudden the deacon starts manifesting a demon, which I didn't know that could happen, but <laughs> changed my theology that day. Uh, and so for 30 minutes, me and the pastor are trying to cast this demon out, binding, loosing, anointing with oil, you know, screaming, crying, praying, all, all of this stuff. And all of a sudden... 30 minutes into it, my son, he's three years old at the back, pulls away from my wife, comes running up to the front, right as this guy starts growling at me, stomps his foot and says, you're not going to growl at my daddy in the name of Jesus, come out. And the thing left. The guy got completely free. Three-year-old sets a, a demon, a deacon free from a demon or a demon free from a deacon. I don't know which, <laughs> but, but, but it was powerful, right? And, and the, the, the amazing thing to me is, is that was his normal, it was his normal response. He wasn't afraid of it. He didn't feel intimidated by it. He realized that Jesus in him was bigger than anything else. And all I'm, all I'm saying to you is that God is releasing us back in that childlike wonder to actually believe the stuff that we believe, to actually believe the stuff that, that, that we teach. I shared this with the ladies this morning. The Lord asked me a question a few years ago. Are you going to preach and discuss my word or do you actually believe it? Because I believe we can get so comfortable in moves of God. We can get so comfortable with the prophetic. We can get so comfortable with deliverance. We get so comfortable with healing that it's just another healing. It's just another prophecy. It's just another prophetic word. It's just another deliverance taking place. And we don't celebrate it like we rightfully should. I believe that familiarity is not our friend when it comes to the things of God. Because when, when we become so familiar with things, we actually get blinded by the familiar. We actually get blinded by it, and, th and then we stop celebrating it, and then it stops happening. Uh, how many know I, I never want to see this stuff happening? I didn't freak you out with those two stories, did I? Right? I think you've had your share of lots of deliverance, right? But, but, but the, the point of the matter is, when you raise up kids who know who they are to step in, then, then there will never be a generation void of another move of God in the earth. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Come on, there's an increase coming.
I believe there's increase of revelation. I believe there's an increase coming, not just in the church, but I believe families are going to be in revival that begin to shape neighborhoods and begin to shape uh, community, both in town and out in the fields, that, that God is about to do something so significant, so powerful. Listen, I, I love the presence of God. I, I love the house of God. I'm an itinerant guy. I do a lot of conferences, but there is no place like the local church. I got that from Jesus. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. And if I don't want the gates of hell to prevail against what I'm building, I want to build what Jesus is building. Listen, Jesus said we should do something. In Matthew 6, 33, he said, that, he said that I should seek the kingdom. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all of its righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And then he said in Matthew 17, or 16, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He told me to seek his kingdom and that he would build his church. And I think sometimes we flip it around a little bit. And I start building something that, that, that I think we should build instead of actually seeking what he's doing in the earth. Uh, there is nothing greater than a seeker of truth. There's nothing greater than one who is in the pursuit of Jesus. I'm not talking about being seeker sensitive. I'm talking about seeking the one who has every answer, who holds the world in his hands, that, that is filled with revelation, knowledge, and wisdom. And there is nothing greater than the house of God. Actually, I've told my children that if they want an inheritance, they better stay in the church because I, I'm, I'm, uh, all of their inheritance is in, the, is, is in the house of God. I learned it from David. It's what David did. He put all of, all of Solomon's inheritance in the house because everything, everything he needs in the house. It's a beautiful thing. One of the greatest encounters I ever had with the Lord was, was really unusual. It was in September of 1999. I was the janitor of the church, and um, it was Monday night after a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, the Lord gives me this scripture. Uh, some of the last words of David, he said, I've set my affection on the house of God. I've given more than anybody else to see it built. And uh, I'm in the, <clears throat> it's after a prayer meeting, everybody's gone home, and uh, I'm in the woman's bathroom. Now, I don't normally hang out in women's bathrooms, but when I do, they're empty, I promise. Uh, and and uh, to give you context, at the time, um, mauve was the in color for churches. Remember mauve? If you don't know what mauve is, it's like if pink and puke had a baby, that's mauve, Okay. <laughs> Uh, and 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 uh, we called it fufu, like the bathroom was fufu'd, and it had I don't know why, but they put mauve with like this forest green countertops, and 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 the stalls were mauve, and, and I even think the toilets were mauve, uh, and and I'm in the third stall of the woman's bathroom, uh, and and I'm I'm on my hands and knees and I'm scrubbing the 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 toilet, and, and I, I I say Lord, I set my affection on your house. And all of a sudden, this cloud fills the bathroom and pins me to the floor. And Holy Spirit speaks to me and said, Son, when you set your affection on my house, I set my affection on your house. And I, I laid on the floor of the women's bathroom for three hours. I couldn't move with a visible cloud over me. Pastor Ballinger received a phone call from the alarm company that uh, the alarm hadn't been set and all kinds of things. And so he's thinking, what in the world has happened? He's trying to get a hold of me. I'm not responding. So he drives to the church. As he drives to the church, my car's in the parking lot. The doors are open. He, he starts hearing this groan coming from the woman's bathroom, saying, what in the world is going on? I can't respond to him. He's calling my name. All I can do is groan and pray in tongues. And he opens the door, and the cloud comes out and knocks him into a wall, and he laid on the floor for two hours. <laughs> Throne room ministry. 
it sounds really silly, it sounds really silly, but my greatest personal moment in God didn't come with a microphone in my hand, came with a toilet brush. Came from a place of serving God and loving his house. Don't underestimate how you serve. Don't underestimate the impact that it has, not just on the church, but how it moves the Father. Listen, to me, it was simply this. It wasn't my job. It was my reasonable act of worship. I wonder what would happen if we took the first year of somebody's walk with God and actually taught them how to worship. I think there would never be an absence of people to do the work. We'd have so many volunteers, so many people saying, hey, I want to come, I, I, I want to serve, I want to lay down my life because, man, God's moving in that capacity. Come on, I, I'm looking at a group tonight. You're not just leaders and workers, you're worshipers. What you're doing is worship. You, you giving of your time, giving of your talents, giving of your gifts is not out of obligation, but it's actually saying, Lord, here's my gifts. Can I tell you something? When, when God trusts you with that, there's always more. Those days define me. They still define me. You can ask Pastor Lynn in Pensacola. You can ask Pastor Jeff where I go now in Franklin, Tennessee. And they'll tell you this to be true. I'll go out and I'll have great meetings. I'll see great miracles. I'll preach on great platforms. Uh, and when I go home, some point in that week, I'll go clean a toilet. I still do it today. Here's why. I say to myself and to the Lord, maybe God should just do it again. Maybe he'll come again like that. And, and, and it's a moment that marked me. I didn't stay there, but it, it is a reference point in the spirit when God came. My friend Bill Johnson says it like this, that Jesus served like a, he served like a king and he ruled like a servant. That's really what he's called us to do, isn't it? He's called us to, to serve like kings, to, to, to treat people, to, to, to love people as God loves them, to, to serve the people of God well. But, but he's also called us to rule like a servant. There's nothing greater than a servant leader. There's nothing greater than somebody that says, I'll get in the ditch with you. I'll, I'll, I'll come and I'll, I'll walk through this storm with you. It begins, those are moments that define us. Come on, I believe God's doing something in the room. It's not what I had intended to share tonight, but, but I believe the Lord's speaking to us. Are you hearing it? I want to share this. I'll, I'll try to, to wrap up and, and then do some, some ministry. Um, one of the craziest things that um, I ever experienced was in 2010, March of 2010. I was in a crash landing in, uh, in Uganda. So I'd been in Uganda for 10 days, uh, me and Pastor Ballinger and uh, his wife Darlene. And uh, we were ministering way out in the bush to these pastors that had walked for five uh, some had walked for, for, for days from five different countries. Um, some walked two and three days from Burundi, Rwanda, Kenya, uh, all over Uganda uh, and Tanzania. And uh, we got out to, the, to the, the meeting place. And as we're out there, um, we would teach. And after a couple hours, we tried to give them a break for tea or, or food. And they would say, no, keep going, keep going. And so we'd get to about noon and we'd say, try to give them a break. They'd say, no, keep going, keep going. Get to about two o'clock in the afternoon. Try to give them a break, something to eat. They would say, no, keep going, keep going. We have to get all that we can because this has to last us till somebody else comes again. So finally about six, seven at night, we would convince them to take a little break. We'd come back, we'd do a night meeting. 
And then we went to bed, and as we went to bed, all of a sudden the sound erupted back in the, in the little church in the middle of, of nowhere rural Uganda. And the pastors decided they didn't want to go to bed. They wanted to pull an all-nighter. So they start, they start praying. They start uh, prophesying. They start dancing. And then they hit the street, and they just start walking through the village, just praying and, uh, and, 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 and ministering to people. It was the wildest thing. And maybe we slept a couple hours a night. But, but I've never been in a place where the, where, where the hunger of leaders, the hunger of people was so great. Their, their spiritual hunger was greater than their physical hunger. It was really a beautiful thing. And um, finally, after 10 days, we, we went back towards Kampala and we were beginning to, uh, to leave. Pastor and Darlene were staying for a few more days. I had a guy with me and he and I were getting ready to take off. We had an eight-hour delay uh, in, uh, in the airport, there was something wrong. Uh, and so we finally boarded about 3 a.m. And as we began to move towards the, the runway to take off, we get to the end of the, the runway and all of a sudden you hear what you don't want to hear on an airplane. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a problem with uh, two of our, our brakes and we need to get clearance from, uh, uh, from Amsterdam uh, to see if we can fly. I had a word of knowledge in that moment. If you can't stop, you shouldn't fly. How many know that's a, just a good word? And after about 30 minutes, they said, we've got clearance, and uh, we reset something, and we're going to take off. So we take off, and as we took off, um, I heard this clunk and this crazy sound, uh, and I fly a lot, so you know the sound of engines, you know it's kind of normal, what's not normal, and this was definitely abnormal. It was like screaming and all kinds of stuff, and you heard what you don't want to hear on an airplane. The pilot gets on and says, ladies and gentlemen, there's a problem with one of our left engines, and we need to return to Entebbe. Um, and it's going to be a little bit rough because we're fully packed tonight with passengers and with cargo. Uh, and so we, when they turned back around, and um, as we came in for uh, a landing, we touched down and immediately went back up because when they landed, we were about halfway down the runway, wasn't enough room to stop. And um, so there's this amazing thing that happened on the plane. There was no panic. There was like this quiet hush. You begin to hear people begin to pray. People begin to sing. And uh, I'm sitting next to this lady. She's just celebrated her 80th birthday from Denmark. Her name is Ingrid. And Ingrid is, is holding my hand. She's just squeezing my hand. Uh, and I'm just praying. And somebody on the plane begins to sing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And there's like this constant of prayer, con concert of worship on a plane filled with like 283 people. It was, it was pretty powerful. And, and uh, you know, I start reminding the Lord of His promises that's a good moment to do that. I just started saying, Lord, you know, I have this word over my life that I'm going to live to be at least 92. 38 is not close to 92. I know you're not good at the, the addition thing. You're really good at multiplication, but addition. So let me help you. 38 is not close to 92. Even if a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like today, it's not really close. And uh, my wife has, has that word. It's written down in her Bible. She's listened to it. And uh, besides, if I go home dead, my wife's going to kill me. Uh, and, and so... Like, you know, so Lord, you know, and so I'm speaking to the Lord to hold up the, hold up the uh, wings of the plane. I'm, I'm speaking, you know, the Lord for brakes to stop all of that. And uh, all of a sudden you hear what you don't want to hear on an airplane. There's a ding and uh, the, the flight attendant picks up. They says something in Dutch and then begins to weep. And you don't want to hear that on an airplane because they're trained not to do that. Uh, and so we're coming in for a landing, they say brace for impact. So everybody gets into the brace position and we land and, and uh, blow out all the tires and come to a skidding stop about 10 feet before we were gonna go into Lake Victoria. 
got to come down on the slides. I always wanted to do that, uh, just, <laughs> just not in that way. Uh, and, and I got bit by a mosquito right here. And uh, I still have a mark. It, it's an unusual thing. Um, but I, um, I wasn't worried about it. I had taken all of my preventatives, all of that. Uh, and, and so we get stuck for two more days in the, in the airport. The guy that was with me, uh, I had been upgraded. He was back in coach with the normal folks. Um, <laughs> and we find each other in the, in, in the, in the terminal and he said, what happened? And I said, what do you mean, what happened? Uh, you know, we were in a crash landing. He said, well, I had no idea. I was asleep. And I, I said, you're, I said you're, either, you're either like the disciples who couldn't tarry with Jesus for one hour, or you're like Jesus asleep on the boat. He's like, I'm like Jesus. Uh, and, and so uh, what had happened is we went up and we hit a crane, the National Bird of Uganda, and took out one of the left engines. Uh, and so that was the cause of all that. We get stuck for two more days. And we, we found out Ingrid said, I didn't believe in God or prayer until now. She gives her life to Jesus. And 83 people on the plane gave their life to the Lord. There were 68 people that were either pastors or missionaries or people on a missions trip on that plane, which brought me to this new theology that God loves sinners so much he's willing to kill all the Christians <laughs> to get to the sinners. I'm not saying it's biblical. I'm just saying it's my experience. Uh, and, and, and so... Uh, I, I come home, finally I'm home, and I'm home for about six uh, days, and I break out in a rash, and I thought my wife changed laundry detergent or something. She said she hadn't. Next day we go to Home Depot, which is always a sore subject for me, because uh, I'm more destruction than construction, and she doesn't let me play with power tools. So she sees me going for a screwdriver. She said, I'll take care of that. You're going to break something. Uh, and so we bought some flooring, and I loaded it in the car, and I got hit with this massive headache, began to shake violently, got hit with a fever. And uh, I knew exactly what it was, but I wasn't going to tell her that I knew that what it was. I knew it was malaria. Uh, and so I went home, and I, I got in the shower, and uh, don't picture that. It'll cause you to sin. So, Lord, just heal them of lust and envy right now in Jesus' name. Uh, and, and so... I'm, I'm, I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm binding the spirit of malaria, I'm, I'm binding, I'm loosing, I'm, and, and I feel a little bit better, we're getting ready to start a conference, and, and uh, I'm not going to let sickness keep me from the conference, and somebody came into town, I picked them up at the airport, got them to hotel, and got home, and I just, I just lost it, just got super sick, and uh, I couldn't go, my wife and daughter went on to the meeting, I stayed home with the boys, miracle happens at 7 o'clock, the three youngest boys fall asleep, my oldest boy, Ben, who's now 19, was 10 then, stayed, stayed with me, and he was just praying over me the whole time, Lord, to heal my dad, heal my dad, praying in tongues. I fell asleep, and, and he just he kept praying over me. And uh, when my wife came home, I'd, I'd sweated through the, my clothes because of the, the fever, and she moved me to another room, tried to get me to the hospital, but uh, I wasn't going to give in to it. And um, so I moved to another room, went to sleep. 4 a.m., the Lord woke her up and said, go check on him now. And she went and checked on me, and I wasn't responding. Got me to the hospital uh, and uh, basically helped them to diagnose me because they had no idea what they were dealing with. And it um, turned out I had a type of malaria called falciparum, which is cerebral malaria. And, um, and basically, um, uh, I, was, I was on my way out. Uh, and so they didn't have the right medications in the hospital, and um, they couldn't, they had to fly them in. And uh, I, was, I was really uh, very sick and uh, not looking so very good. And my wife is, a, 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 she, she's like a walking Google. Like she just, if she doesn't know the answer, she'll study it out and find it. And so she finds out that the type of malaria that I have, 
Um, if you don't get the medications within two days, you either be brain damaged or dead. Now, most of you uh, are, are realize that I'm not dead. Some of you are wondering about the brain damage part. Um, but, um, but, but she, she basically is trying to get through to the hospital, through the doctors, like, we need to get medication into him now or he's not going to make it. And uh, she's not getting any help. And the Lord downloads the 10-digit number for the doctor's cell phone to my wife, just gives her a word of knowledge. And so she calls the doctor on the number she got and uh, said, listen, you need to do something. And he kind of puts a couple medications together and, uh, to just get me through the night. The next day the medicine comes in, but I can't keep it down. And uh, I'm fading fast. I have this crazy uh, thing happens to me where uh, my sister was visiting uh, in the room. And uh, all of a sudden this cold darkness comes in the room and a voice comes in, says, son, come home. You're done. You're finished. And uh, my spirit leaves my body. And the voice of the Lord comes and said, no, you'll live and not die. You'll prophesy. Declare the word of the Lord. I sat up in the bed, said, I'll live and not die. I'll prophesy. Declare the word of the Lord. Went back out. And, um, and, and it wasn't looking good for me at all. They called my wife to get everything in order. Uh, it's not looking good for him. And um, at about 7 o'clock at night, um, I, I, I woke up, and uh, one of my best friends, who's a sound man uh, at the church, was wiping me down with a, with, a, with a cloth. And I woke up, and God really began to do a work in me. The next day, I wanted to leave. They wouldn't let me leave. Uh, so I started texting in prophetic words to the meeting because uh, you take the boy out of church, but I couldn't take the church out the boy. Uh, and, and people came and visited. I was actually doing a lot better. And that night, this, this figure came into the room, and, uh, and, and I recognized it was just the enemy coming in. And I said, what are you doing? They said, we can't let you live. I have to shut down the prophetic voice in the earth. And this thing came and tried to put its hands on my throat and wrestled with it, said, in the name of Jesus, get out of my room. And it left. The next day, they said, hey, we've got some bad news for you. Uh, you don't just have malaria, but you have typhoid fever on top of the malaria. And, um, and, and so I entered into this, this, this struggle and this fight uh, for my life. And, and so a couple days in, uh, on Wednesday, so I'm about five days in, um, Pastor Ballinger said, hey, I don't want to leave him alone. I want the elders and some worship around him all the time. Uh, and um, all of a sudden, the elders that were in the room felt this cold darkness come in. Again, the enemy came in, said, you, you, um, um, come home, you're done, you're finished. And the Spirit of the Lord came in like a roar, said, no, you'll live and not die, you'll prophesy, declare the word of the Lord. I sat up, said, I'll live and not die, I'll prophesy, declare the word of the Lord. Went back out. Uh, and Jesus came to me. It's probably one of the most intimate encounters I ever had uh, with the Lord. But Jesus came to me with two angels. And one angel handed me a set of keys and said, these are the keys uh, for generations. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I'm going to release a three, a multi-generational move of God in the earth that, that no enemy can stop. And then the other angel handed me a set of keys and said, these are the keys uh, for nations. And he said, you're going to see it come to pass the words of Jesus when he said, you'll see nations discipled in a day. And then all of a sudden, Jesus handed me a set of keys and said, these are the keys that unlock supernatural resources for the end time harvest. Whatever you do, don't let anybody pluck them from your hand. And so the visitation ends and uh, I, I go, come to, I go back out. Then Jesus, or I'm sorry, uh, three demonic spirits come after me and they start wrestling me for the keys. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having this, it's very real to me. Elders, worship people are in the room. They're watching it happen. They're watching me wrestle. Doctors, nurses coming in trying to sedate me and nothing they're doing is helping. But, but I get assaulted by these three spirits. One was like a seducing spirit, just one who was trying to seduce the keys. One was, uh, 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 was 
was like a Jezebel spirit, was just mean trying to take the keys from me. There was this other weird spirit that was actually fighting the other two demons and fighting me at the same time because they wanted everything for themselves. It was like a whoredom thing. Uh, and, and so I'm wrestling, and finally I, I pull the keys in, and I say, in the name of Jesus, get out of my room. And they leave, and I, I come to you and go back out. And Jesus comes back to me, and he takes me by the hand, and we go flying. I call it like a Peter Pan moment. And he, he brings me up, and it's like the, the bluest sky. It's, it's, it, it's, it's the super dark blue. Uh, stars are just shining so bright. And we start flying, and we, we come over masses of humanity, and we come over rural areas, and we go to these different spots, and we would drop in, and he would say, David, how are we going to win them all? And I would say, Lord, only you know. And he said, here's how we're going to win them all, by loving them one at a time. And he'd bring me on to the next place, and this happened seemingly just, it felt like days, and I never wanted it to end. Uh, at at the, the end of it, he brings me up uh, into the boardroom of heaven. It wasn't the throne room. I think if you go there, you never want to come back. But he brings me into the boardroom, uh, and he said, David, how come you haven't built everything I told you to build? Why haven't you gone everywhere I've told you to go? Why haven't you, why haven't you done everything I've told you to do? And, uh, and I said, Lord, I didn't have the people. I didn't have the time. I didn't have the team. I didn't have this. I didn't have that. And just in a very gentle but stern way, he said, no more excuses. The reason you haven't done what I've told you to do, built what I've told you to build, go everywhere I've told you to go, is you believe the word of the Lord for everybody else, but when it comes to you, you're filled with doubt and unbelief. He said, doubt is not lack of faith. It's just simply believing something other than what I said. There was this quick repentance and this real intimate father-son kind of experience that I had with the Lord. Uh, and I came back and I, I started to heal. And um, the next day, this doctor comes in and I'm feeling good. Everything's changing. And this doctor hands me a card. It's, he's, it's a, he's a doctor of hematology and oncology. I said, man, I don't know why you're here. I have malaria. I don't have cancer. And he said, well, actually, we've studied your blood. We found uh, your cancer markers are really high, and uh, we need to do a bone marrow biopsy. We need to drill in your hip. Uh, and, uh, and I just thought to myself, this isn't happening. Uh, and so I called my wife, said, this is what they want to do. And she said, no, you're not going to have that test. I said, let the doctors do the job. She said, no, let me do my job as your wife. You're not going to have the test. Uh, and, um, and so we had intense fellowship because we're too spiritual to fight. Uh, and, and that night, um, the kids came back. She brought the kids, and nothing went right. Like, kids were acting up and all of this stuff. And we, it was the only time that peace left me in that whole experience. It's pretty powerful to realize the hell that I went through over the course of that time, uh, and, and peace only left in that moment when I broke agreement. Think about that for a moment. How can two walk together unless they agree? Amos 3.3. 3. Uh, and, and, and so it became chaos, and the nurses were trying to get me to sign the, the release to do the test. My wife was uh, you know, telling them he's not doing that. You guys aren't, don't know what you're doing. And all of a sudden, my daughter, who was 12 at the time, she's now 22, um, she, she does something. She's normally very meek, very sweet, very quiet. But all of a sudden, she just goes, I need everybody to leave the room now. And I, I tried to go, but I was hooked up to stuff. I, I couldn't leave. Uh, and, and, um, and so Molly, Molly took the kids out, and, uh, and, and she sits on the bed. She grabs me by the face. She said, you look at me, mister. And um, she calls me Davy. She's not my biological daughter, but I told her I'd never call her stepdaughter because there'd never be a step between me and her. And um, so she said, you look at me, Davy. And uh, I looked at her. She goes, I believe everything you've ever taught me, that Jesus is a healer. I believe he's going he's gonna to heal you. I believe that he's bringing an end to malaria, that you're not going to have cancer. And she just starts prophesying to me, praying for me, and says, I believe you're going to be home tomorrow by the time I get home from school, or else I'm going to be really, really mad. 
Uh, and, and so I believe that my wife comes in, then we all say goodbye uh, and leaves. All of a sudden, when they leave, the phone rings into my room. I answer it. Uh, and um, the voice on the other end said, can I talk to David? I said, this is David. He said, this is David Ruhlman. He's a pastor from, from Washington, D.C. that I only had met one time. Uh, and and I, he said, what are you doing? Where are you at? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing where I'm at? I'm in the hospital. You just called me in my hospital room. He said, oh, man. He said, I was just praying for you. And the Lord said to call you on this number. So I called you on this number. Uh, and he said, what's going on? I told him I have malaria, all that stuff. He starts laughing. And I said, David, how come you're laughing? I'm dying. You're laughing. I don't find it very funny. He said, because the Lord spoke to me that I'm going to call you tomorrow on your cell phone. Uh, and you're going to be in your own bed, and we're going to laugh together. He said, now hit the nurse's call button. I said, why? He said, it's an emergency. Hit the nurse's call button. I did. When I looked at my arm, my arm was puffing up, all kinds of stuff happening. And uh, they came running in, and they discovered that they had given me penicillin by accident, and the only thing I'm allergic to. And so if malaria and plane crashes don't kill you, the nurses and doctors might. Uh, and so, again, not theologically correct, not, might even be heresy, my experience. And so, uh, and, and so, um, they, they reverse it. We, we worship through the night. I remember the Lord said, don't be on the defensive. Go on the offensive. We worship through the night. I, I'm almost done. I know it's really long for you. But compared to Kevin Leal, I'm still short. So it's, a, it's amazing. Plus, I haven't yelled at you once yet tonight. Come on. Right? And so, uh, and so um, you know, we worship through the night. And, and, you know, I'm resting. And the next morning, this rascal of a nurse comes in. Or the doctor comes in and said, are you ready to do the test? I said, sure, let's just get it over with. And um, he said, all right, the nurse will come in with paperwork. And all of a sudden, this rascally nurse comes in, and uh, she goes, uh, Mr. Wagner, I need you to know a couple of things. Number one, I need you to know that I'm one of you. And I said, you're one of me? She said, uh, I'm, I'm like you. I'm a believer. I believe Jesus is still the healer, that he's going to heal you today. And I don't know why. I just have this feeling that you're going to go home today. And I said, let me just check this out. Am I going home, like to my house, or home, home? Like, I'm good with either. Prefer one over the other at the moment. But, like, what are we talking about? No, you're going to go home to your house. And uh, she goes, the second thing you need to know is I don't normally work at this hospital. I'm a traveling nurse. They called me at four this morning. I said I didn't want the shift. When I hung up, my husband said, uh, I don't know who that was, but you need to take the shift. There's a divine appointment for you. And so, Mr. Wagner, I need you to know that you're my divine appointment. Uh, and, and so she's a little bit rascally. And because she's a traveling nurse, she doesn't know all the systems of the hospital. So she's turning paperwork in late. So they keep moving the tests back and back and back. Meanwhile, as they continue to test my blood, malaria numbers are going down. Cancer markers are going down. And so all of a sudden at noon, she comes into the room dancing and said, Mr. Wagner, I can't explain it, but all of your numbers are coming down so much that, that you don't need the test. They've canceled all of that. So I think the doctor's going to come and see you. And I, I, I think what I said to you this morning is true. You're going to go home today. All of a sudden, the doctor came in at 2 o'clock, and he said, Mr. Wagner, uh, I'd like to keep you here because I find you very interesting. And uh, I've never had anybody say that to me before, so I kind of liked it. I almost, I almost stayed just because he talked nice to me. Uh, and, and he said, but I'm sure you'd be more comfortable in your own bed. And so he released me. I got out of the hospital at, at 2.45, picked my daughter up at 3 o'clock, went home, got in my own bed. 6 o'clock that night, David Ruhlman called me, and, um, and we laughed together. And God began to bring me in this healing, amazing healing journey. And I, I realized that often the storms you go through actually activate an anointing in you you never knew you had before. Until that moment, I never had to speak to a crashing plane. To that moment, I never had to speak to malaria or cancer in my own body. 
And all of a sudden, this anointing stirs up a faith in me that I've never had before. They said, whatever you do, Mr. Wagner, don't uh, travel for a couple of months. Take six months off. And so I gave that about 28 days. Uh, and, and so I, I went out, I ministered. And, uh, and, 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 and so I, I go uh, to this place. I won't tell you the name of the city or the church to protect the guilty. Um, but I get invited to this conference, and I keep getting bumped. Every time I'm supposed to speak, I get bumped for somebody with a bigger name. Uh, and, and so I'm there for five days. Uh, I'm supposed to be going to Venezuela. They said, don't ever leave. The, don't, you shouldn't leave the country. Uh, I gave that uh, 30 days or 35 days. Um, and I'm supposed to go to Venezuela, but I don't have the ticket yet because I don't have the money for it yet. And so I'm, I'm in this conference, and I'm thinking to myself, if I don't work, uh, I don't eat. If I don't preach, I don't make a living, and I'm wasting my time sitting here. And so I go to my, to my room. This will all make sense to you in about the next five minutes. You got five minutes? Uh, and so uh, I know it's boring. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's really exciting, especially when you lived it. Uh, and, and so uh, I go there, and um, uh, I remember being frustrated in my room. It's the fifth day. It's the Friday of the conference. Uh, I've been there all week. I'm frustrated, and, and I'm pacing in my room, and I'm kind of crying out to the Lord, actually complaining to God. I think that's the problem. We actually uh, complain instead of converse. We complain to people instead of conversing with God sometimes. Uh, and so I'm, I'm actually just having, pitching this little baby hissy fit in my room, like, Lord, what am I doing here? Uh, uh, I'm supposed to be preaching. Every time I'm supposed to preach, somebody bumps me. I'm supposed to go to Venezuela. You won't let me cancel. I don't have the ticket yet. don't have the, the money yet. I have no idea what you're doing. And I'm on this, this rant and this tirade, which I don't think you should ever do with the Lord, but I did. Uh, and, and, and he said, are you finished? And I said, absolutely not. And so I went on for about 15 more minutes, which was really dumb. Uh, and at the end of it, he said, are you finished? And I said, I think I am. And he asked me a question that offended me. He said, David, do you trust me? I said, what do you mean, do I trust you? I, I went off. I said, Lord, I've had malaria for you, been in a plane crash for you. I go to places that nobody else wants to go. I do this, I do that. I've had this, I've done this. Uh, and the Lord said, I've read your latest bio and newsletter. I'm not impressed. You couldn't have done any of it without me. And, and and he asked me the question again, do you trust me? And so I said, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll trust you. And he said, if you trust me, uh, it broke me. I was on the floor just weeping like a baby on the floor. He said, if you trust me, then stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to make it happen and just do what I've called you to do. And I went back to the meeting that night with a better attitude. And um, uh, I got bumped again. And, um, and so I've been there for five days, didn't preach, don't even know I was there. Uh, prophesied a little bit, was thankful that I was going home the next day. On the way out, this 80-year-old lady named Gloria came running out after me. She said, hey, Brother Dave, Brother Dave. Um, and I knew I was in trouble because you can't say no to Grandma. And so I, I said, yeah, Gloria, what, what can I do for you? She said, uh, me and uh, a bunch of Baptist intercessors, we get together every Saturday morning. We know you're leaving tomorrow. We'll meet you at 5 in the morning if we have to. We just really feel like we, the, you're supposed to come. I said, well, I'm not that radical. 7.30 would be fine. I have to leave by 10, 10.30 uh, to go to the airport. She said, great. And so all 22 Baptist intercessors show up, and I'm just talking to them like I'm talking to you. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls, and 19 of them just started just start speaking in tongues. The other three were relieved because they were Baptocostal. Uh, and so it was just spontaneous. Holy Spirit fell. Turns out to be a, a great meeting. On my way out of the church, Gloria comes running up after me and said, we can't let you go until we bless you. Hands me a check for $5,000. 
Uh, I was in a really good mood by the time we got on the plane. Uh, it, it was worth it was worth the time. I, see, I I thought I was coming for the big meeting, but the Lord didn't call me for the meeting. He actually called me for an assignment. It's why I don't take meetings anymore. I only take assignments. Uh, and so I get on the plane. I fly home. It's the night before Mother's Day, and so I take my um, I, I take my family out to the beach, and we have. Uh, some, for some seafood. And uh, Ben, it was again, he was about 10 at the time. He likes raw oysters, so he eats raw oysters with me. That's how you know he's a man of God. He just, <laughs> raw oysters, squirt a lemon, Tabasco sauce, horseradish on it. It's, it's amazing. It'll change your life forever, I promise. And shakarama, uh, sandarama, sandarama. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, and and, he, and he, he puts this oyster in his mouth, and he makes a funny face like he's going to puke. And all of a sudden, he spits out a pearl this big. And he makes the face again and spits out the matching pearl. Uh, and so two pearls in the same oyster. And my wife is on the phone quick Googling it and finds out that one, one, in, ten, one in 100,000 oysters, one in 200,000 oysters has a pearl in it. And uh, for it to have two in it, it's like one in a million. And so the, 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 the maitre d' or the, the, the manager of the, of, the, of the restaurant comes running over he gets so excited about it. And all of a sudden, as we're finishing up dinner, the news media shows up. So the Channel 3 News comes. And um, so they're like, can you tell us what happened? I tried to tell them. They're like, no, we don't want to talk to you. We want to talk to Ben. I'm like, I'm buying the dinner. You're going to talk to me? No, I didn't. I didn't. But so they said, hey, Ben, can you tell us what happened? He said, well, Jesus gave my mom pearls for Mother's Day. And said, my daddy is a, is a minister. He's a missionary. He goes all over the world wherever Jesus wants him to go. And, um, and uh, he just had malaria, and this is a sign that the Lord's given us double for his trouble. And I think he was listening to Joyce Meyer or something, so it was, it was, it was cool. And I, I like that he was confessing those things. He said, but it's also a prophetic sign for my, for my dad and my family that, um, that my dad will never have to say no to going anywhere in the world uh, because um, the Lord's going to provide for him. Uh, and, and so... He's basically preaching the gospel, giving this amazing testimony. And so they called the, the episode of the news the Mother's Day Miracle. And they showed it on Sunday and they showed it on Monday. Uh, it, was, it was a powerful thing. And so um, Sunday comes and uh, I, go to the, um, I go to church. It's a great service, Mother's Day service. On the way out, this couple in our church, Gary and Marilyn Benitez, come to me. And they said, uh, David, the Lord told us to give this to you. And they handed something to me. I put it in my pocket. And uh, they start weeping. They said, no, you have to look at it. It's really important. And so I opened it up, $968.82. It's the exact amount that I needed to go to Venezuela the next day. And um, they, they said, um, we were in our house last night. I was praying in the front room. Gary was praying in the bedroom. And we both heard an audible voice. And the Lord asked us a question, do you trust me? I said, I never heard that before. Uh, and, and they said, Lord, we trust you. And they said, this is our mortgage payment. We're three behind. We're about to go in foreclosure. But the Lord said to sow this to you. And, and so it was a beautiful moment. I uh, signed the check over to, to Pastor Ballinger. He put my ticket for Venezuela on uh, his credit card. I flew out, ministered the first day. When I got back to my, the house where I was staying at, opened up my emails, and there's an email from Gary and Mary Lynn Benitez. Uh, it simply said this, testimony. David, you'll never believe this. Today we, we got a, a certified letter from a lawyer in California uh, that advised us that Gary had a grandfather that he never knew who, who died 10 years ago but has left us everything. 
It's enough to pay off our house, to pay off our cars, to put our kids through school. And we just thought we would share that with you. Now, this is not a testimony about money. This is a testimony about trusting. I believe the Lord is calling us. He's actually bringing us through a testing in this season uh, where he's testing us. He's bringing us to a new level of trusting him. Uh, I really believe with all my heart, the Lord tonight is about to release something upon every one of you in this room. I believe that as you have been faithful to the house of God, that he's about to release the reward of the righteous to you. And as I, I just close this part out tonight, I believe this with all my heart. The Lord said to release the keys. This is, a, this is a testimony that I don't share a whole lot because it's very intimate to me. But he told me, he said, there's going to be certain places that you go that I'm going to tell you release the keys. And I believe the Lord's releasing the keys for generations. I believe he's releasing the keys to nations. And I believe he's releasing the keys for supernatural resources for the end time harvest upon this church tonight. I believe the Lord is about to give you. If I had a set of keys that I could physically hand to you, I would tonight. But you're just going to have to receive them by faith. I believe there's something happening in the room right now. There, there's something happening. Some of you have been going through some things. And that storm you've been going through isn't designed to kill you or throw you back. It's actually designed to activate an anointing in you you never knew you had before. Does this make sense to you tonight? I believe that this is, an, this, is, this is a powerful, timely, prophetic word for you because I believe the Lord's about to launch us in one of the greatest seasons of harvest we've ever seen. I really believe it. I believe there's about to be explosive growth in the church. I believe people are going to begin to, there's a great unveiling that's about to take place where the Lord is removing, uh, he's removing the veil. And I feel like you're one of the greatest kept secrets in the earth that there is a place that people are going to come to. They're going to they're find their way to this place for healing, for equipping, for, for a word from God in season. And all of that happens because we've been building a house where God can live in. Come on, I believe tonight the Lord wants to just pour out his love, pour out his spirit on us. And so, Jesus, I thank you right now, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. I thank you. Father, that you would come, that you would visit us in our midst, that you would perform your word. Lord, in Jeremiah, it says that you watch over your word day and night and you are careful to perform it. And Lord, I'm not just giving testimony tonight, but I believe I'm prophesying to the people of God in the room. Lord, I believe that my testimony is becoming their prophecy tonight. That, Lord, you're releasing keys to them, that you're about to release divine encounters, that you've set your affection on them as they've set their affection on this house. Lord, I pray that you would rain down, that, Lord, you would manifest your glory. Your kingdom would come like never before. Lord, I thank you, uh, Lord, for this season of, of, of wisdom. And uh, Steve, I heard the Lord say these words, that I'm bringing you in. I'm bringing you into a new place of the gift of the word of wisdom. The thing that D Daniel operated in, the thing that Joseph operated in, the, that, that gift that causes strategies to be birthed, strategies for the future, strategies not just for the church, but even for kingdom business. I saw people coming and sitting with you saying, what should I do with this? I saw you praying over business plans. I saw you praying over even legislation from, from the county, legislation from, from towns, legislations even from the state. And I saw you beginning to release words of wisdom in it.
And the Lord said, son, you didn't just stand the test of time, but you passed the test of time. The Lord said that you have been faithful to do what they said could not be done in this region. And I felt like the Lord said that it was my design to move you out here. It was my design to cause you to plant in, in the middle of the country on purpose because I wanted to show you that this is the Lord's doing. For I heard the Lord say that, son, I've, I've caused you to plant in a place that will begin to accommodate what I've promised all along. For the Lord says, I've given you an anointing even for the Nicodemuses, for those who won't come to the meeting on Sunday, but they'll come at night. They'll come when the doors are closed and the lights are coming out and they'll say, I really need a word from God. My ministry's falling apart. My family's falling apart. And I need to hear from God. The Lord said, I'm going to give you a word in season. For you are a man who is like the sons of Issachar, rightly discerned your time and your season in the earth. And I tell you this, son, you've not seen anything yet compared to what you're about to see. For you fought battles and at times you felt like you were moving uphill every direction. But the Lord said that I'm about to release a kingdom and a Holy Spirit acceleration upon your life to not only see the greater things, but to do the greater things. For there are fields that you've sown into that you've not even remembered where you've sown. But there's a harvest of souls and a harvest of resources crying out, even from places like Russia, even from places of, of, of far off of far, far off places, some that you went, some that you just sown, some that you sent the people to. But I've counted it to you as righteousness. And even as you've sown places that you've not gone, so shall you go in places that others have refused to go. For even from this little place and a little town, a little country church out in Minnesota, I'm going to begin to birth, I'm going to begin to birth moves of God in nations because you are willing to believe in the face of unbelief, because you are willing to be relational in the midst of religion, because you are willing to go where they said you can't go. The Lord said that I'm planting and I'm beginning to cause the heavens to open over this place. I felt like the Lord said to me this morning that this is an open heavens region, that I'm opening the heavens. And I saw angels ascending and descending, like in John 151, when Jesus said, you've not seen anything yet. Wait do you see angels ascending and descending upon my body, the church. And I felt like the Lord said, while many people prepare to retire, the Lord said, I'm going to keep the fire burning on the inside of you. We've built this relationship. We've built this sacred trust over the years, says the Lord. And I'm bringing you to the place where you do what you always do. And you say, Lord, what would you have me preach? What do you want me to talk about? And the Lord said, I, I, I want you to preach whatever you want, and I'll back it up. I want to preach. What, I want you to preach what's in your heart, what burns in your heart. And I feel like this is a first love season that you're about to see the region. You're about to see the state. You're about to see even the nation come back to its first love. There is a voice in you crying out in the wilderness. There is a voice in you. You've been a, you've been a fighter and at the same time you've been a lover. You've been a lover of God and a lover of people at the same time you've known how to fight in the spirit. And so I've given you great legacy 
And that legacy of world changers shall begin to increase and increase and increase. And I felt like the Lord said, I'm about to come upon you once again with the faith for the miraculous. Your life has made a difference. Your ministry has made a difference. This church has made a difference. And I just felt like the Lord was about to bring you into the library of heaven. I saw you reading and feasting upon the books that haven't been written yet. I saw you feasting on the things that the Lord was writing with his own heart, with his own word, with his own finger. And I saw the Lord bringing you to the place of mysteries, where the mysteries of God are about to be revealed through you. And I felt like the Lord said, one thing you focused on in the beginning, it was foundation, it was foundation, it was foundation. Because the foundation was right, you've given me a place to land over and over and over again. And the Lord says, thanks for refusing to be stuck, for refusing to coast. And I just feel like the Lord has put that Antioch anointing upon this house to train and equip, to train and equip. And there's going to come times where people will come two, three, four years, and they'll go again. And they're going to get here where they couldn't get anywhere else. And they're going to receive here what they couldn't receive anywhere else. And I felt like the Lord said, you've been faithful with the hundreds, but I'm going to give you a vision for the multitudes. You've been faithful with the hundreds, but I'm going to give you a vision for the multitudes. You've been faithful with the hundreds, but I'm going to give you a vision for the multitudes. It won't be long, and you'll be growing again. It won't be long, and you'll be building again. It won't be long, and you'll begin to see another waves and phases of expansion. I literally, when I saw the building today, when we turned into the, the parking lot this morning, I felt faith in the air. I felt faith in the property. I felt the faith, not just in God, but I felt the faith of God here. And I feel like the Lord's about to release the gift of faith upon the church, but I also believe he's about to release the gift of faith upon the leaders and the workers in the room tonight. The ability to believe for what God is believing for. Just ponder that for a moment. The ability to believe for what God is believing for. Lord, I thank you for that, Lord, right now in this moment. Right now in this moment. Son, the anointing of a watchman is upon you. And the Lord has given you the Father's eyes. He's given you eyes to see, eyes to protect, eyes to discern. I saw the Lord giving you what I believe is probably the most needed gift to the church right now. It's the gift of discernment. To discern the presence of God, to discern the plans and schemes of the enemy, to discern times and seasons in the earth. But also I believe this. to discern even the motives in the hearts of men. And what I felt was this, is the Lord has anointed you as a watchman, and as a, as a truth teller, one who speaks the truth. And I, I felt like you're a modern day Nathaniel. When Jesus met Nathaniel, he said, a man in Israel whom there is no guile. 
I'm not calling you perfect, but you're probably one of the most pure-hearted guys in the room. There's this purity of heart. There is this tenacity of faith. There is this willingness to watch over and protect. At a visitation of the Lord a while back, where he showed me the Ark of the Covenant with the angels over the Ark, and then over the angels were two lions. And he said that in this season, the presence of God doesn't just need to be covered, it needs to be protected. I don't know what this means to you, sir, but I felt like the Lord said he's anointing you as a protector of the presence. I feel like the anointing of a trusted one, of one he who he's found trustworthy, is coming upon you. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the increase. I kept hearing the, the Lord say increase is coming upon your shoulders. And so, Lord, I thank you for kingdom expansion, for kingdom increase upon him. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've caused him to keep his face towards your face, his eyes on your eyes. And I felt like the Lord speaks to you. He, he moves around you in unconventional places. Like I just saw you just out and about, and the Lord just speaking to you face to face like a man speaks to his friend. Lord, I pray for an encounter like that, an encounter like how Moses knew you face to face. Lord, will you just come and just consume him right now? Lord, I pray that you would give him the eyes of the watchman. Lord, a watchman in your house to watch over your house, to watch over your people. Let me make it plain. There's a pastoral grace and pastoral anointing coming upon you. You're not going to be able to to sidestep it. It's almost like Jesus, the pastor, Jesus, that pastoral side of him is getting ready to come upon you. I'm not saying you have to be in a pulpit, not saying, but, but the anointing to pastor people. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for this amazing woman of God. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've given her eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, a heart that conceives and perceives the promises of God. And I, I felt like the Lord said he's anointed you as like a spiritual midwife. To, to help people birth and bring forth the promises of God. And I feel like the Lord's given you great faith, not just for yourself, but to actually to believe that which he's spoken to others. And I saw you holding on to words that other people were ready to let go of. And it was like that you were this constant reminder. I kept seeing like uh, post-it notes and it was like you were, you were saying, hey, here's a reminder of what God said. You can't quit. This is what God said. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, Lord, I thank you for what you've instilled in her, what you've placed on the inside of her. I just kept hearing that word deeper still. And so, Lord, I thank you for the very depths of your love, the very depths of, of her heart, that, of your heart that she's about to encounter. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you work uh, in kids' ministry, I just want you to stand to your feet right now. You serve in kids' church or nursery if you were to ask me where churches grow or where churches die it's in kids ministry because if kids aren't happy in church the parents won't keep coming and so I, I believe that the Lord is really about to breathe on those of you that have been working with the kids with whether it's in nursery or kids' church or toddlers or, 
or whatever. And um, I, I feel like that it is, it is the focus of God in this season, that he's about to invest heavily in this next generation. And I want all of you that are standing, I want you to just raise your hands or hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. And I just believe that the Lord uh, is really about to, to put strategies and things in your hand that are super powerful. Man, when I, I met you today, I didn't just see an amazing young man. I actually saw the heart of Jesus beating within your chest. And I heard these words. I didn't just give him an anointing. I gave him my heart. I didn't just give him my gifts. I gave him the fruits of who I am, my nature. Some people just use the name of God, and they don't know the nature of God. But you're going to know the fullness of his nature. Some people lead by words, and people listen to what you have to say. But even more so, people are going to learn from your life by watching what you do and even what you don't do. And I just saw the, the Lord has anointed you as a modern-day giant slayer, one that will tear down the enemy, that just chop the enemy down at the knees. And what I felt was this, is that the Lord has given you an amazing gift to lead, but also an amazing gift to worship. And I just felt like, um, you know, I speak prophetic words over people, but I feel there's even going to come a day where you sing words over people. And I, I felt like the Lord has given you an amazing voice, both to sing, to speak. People will be captivated. They'll be able to listen to you for hours and not get tired of what you have to say because it's relevant and true. The Lord loves the way that you're honest. There's an amazing gift of honesty in you, sir. And Lord, I just thank you right now that, Lord, he's a Holy Spirit powerhouse. Lord, I thank you for the way that you're going to trust him with your power, with your might, with miracles. Because, Lord, he'll never rob you of a testimony. Lord, I bless him tonight in Jesus' name. I heard the Lord in a kind of a sports announcer's voice where they say, he might go all the way. Like, like he caught it, he's going he's gonna to go all the way to the goal line. He's going to go all the way for a touchdown. And I, I saw the Lord putting his hand upon you, uh, even in the realm of athletics, because it's going to be a platform for you. It's going to be a platform for you to share the goodness, the kindness, and the person of Jesus. And I, I just really felt like the Lord said, don't let anybody talk you out of a little boy dream swinging for the fences of hitting home runs or playing for the twins. Or the Lord's given you an amazing arm. And the arm of the Lord is going to be extended through your arm. I feel like the Lord is going to give you an accuracy in the prophetic, but also an accuracy in throwing the ball. And I, I saw you excelling in multiple sports. And I felt like the Lord said, I've given you talents, but I've also given you great spiritual gifts. If you keep your eyes focused on me, I'll, I'll take you places that no man will be able to open up for you. And I just really felt like the Lord hadn't just given you character. He's also given you integrity, not just giving you integrity, but even integrity of heart. Lord, I thank you for the integrity of his heart, that, Lord, it is so beautiful, so profound. 
Lord, I, I thank you right now, Lord, for that childlike faith and wonder that'll stay with him even into his old age. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you've anointed him to be a dreamer. Lord, to dream with you, to dream the dreams of God. In Jesus' name. People won't because you don't. And people will because you do. And I felt like the Lord said, Son, I've given you the anointing to make right choices and to make right decisions. And there's things where you say, I'm not going to do that. Even though it's all right for some people, it's almost like there is this place in you that, that says, I'm not going to do that. And there's things that other people will be able to do that you won't, but you'll be able to do things that other people can't simply because you kept your heart right and your eyes fixed. And I just felt like the Lord said, Son, I've given you wisdom beyond your years. I've given you words that are profound, powerful. You can say more in a sentence than most people can say in an hour. Straight to the heart, straight to the point. And I just really felt like the Lord has anointed you to bring healing to the hearts of young men. I saw you having this amazing gift called kindness. Proverbs says these words, that it is kindness that makes one attractive. It's the kindness of the Lord that brings people to repentance. It's what David cried out when he said, Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. Brother, the gift of kindness, the fruit of kindness, is so evident in your life. Lord, I thank you right now for the kindness that he shows the younger ones. Lord, the respect, the honor that he shows the older ones. Lord, I pray right now that, Lord, you would expand his dream life, that he would dream with you, that he would have not just dream about the future, but, Lord, you would give him the dreams of God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Honey, when you walked in tonight, I saw the Lord light his face light up with a huge smile. He gets excited every time you show up because when you show up, he shows up. And I feel like the Lord is saying these words. I'm releasing you into the greater. I'm releasing even the greater works upon you. I kept hearing this word. She ponders. You think about things, you ponder things, you, you weigh things out, you, you have these Selah moments where you think about it, you meditate on it. He said to tell you that you're brilliant. You're a brilliant thinker, you're a brilliant problem solver. But he's also, putting, he's also put inside of you this gift to communicate his heart. I heard these words, I'm standing in front of you. I'm going to give her the gift of a master communicator. And I saw you just masterfully communicating the word of the Lord to people. I saw you standing up in front of people, speaking, 
And even as you were, it was like you were facing your fear and you did it anyway. And I kept seeing this sign flashing over your head, fearless. Fearless. You're going to live a life so fear-free. Lord, I pray right now that you would, you would give her the ability to communicate your heart, your voice, your mind, your thoughts. I heard the Lord say, get ready to laugh a lot. I felt like the Lord said, you've always been a season where everything's kind of serious. And I, I saw the Lord restoring joy. But I just thank you for the joy of salvation. Lord, I think you're going to use her to see people set free from depression. You're going to use her to help people discover their self-worth and identity. I heard the Lord say to tell you that you're amazingly beautiful. Inside and out. Honey, you're about to be amazed at what the Lord does for you in the next year worth of time. I saw scholarships with your name on it. I saw school being fully funded. Because favor is upon your life. I've been studying the word favor for a while, and the first place you'll find it in the Bible is in Genesis 6. It says, but Noah found favor in the sight of God. It truly means this. I studied it out, and here's what it means. When It said, when God looked at Noah, he liked what he saw. And honey, when God looks at you, he likes what he sees. Lord, I thank you that when you look at her, you like what you see. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.